coming up on this week's Redcast. problem that we have with the way that information flows is that every single bank is doing the exact same investigation into bits of the business empire of a designated person, but they're not allowed to share that with each other. They send it to government, but that doesn't get collated and shared back out to industry. Somehow we fell back to just uh, you know throwing the names across the fence and then everybody had to comply with it and, and this was a huge work to normalise the data. Greater cross-jurisdictional guidance, so more alignment in the guidance which is issued by the different jurisdictions um, in relation to, to how the information and how those sanctions work and how that sort of cascaded down all the way through to, to those uh, businesses which, which may not be in the regulated sector. Plenty of technology that we could start to utilise there I say, or mention the word distributed ledger as an example, where we could actually start to sort of anonymize some of this stuff, but, but share it um, both uh, in, inter-country and also uh, globally. But I mean, it would really take the collaboration of uh, regulators, governments and financial institutions to bring that together. The, the common data points are common data points already, that there can't be that much more information the regulators or authorities need. Um, I think the key bit is giving a potentially a standard type format for the financial institutions to help provide that information. This is a, this is a massive communication challenge. This system needs to be public to private, but it's public to public, and then private to private, and actually it's regulated to vendor, and vendor to vendor. Welcome to Redcast. 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 Shining a light on challenges and opportunities for digital compliance. Welcome back. I'm really happy to be talking about sanctions with this crew. It is just one of the biggest pushes this year into a new space that in my 17 years of doing regulatory change really hadn't come up, which I think tells me a lot. Um, as I've gotten into this, I've understood the political process by which the, the sanctions themselves are agreed. Um, but then also how the process of, of implementing them uh, is put together. And, and, and both are very tricky uh, discussions. You know, that there are very tan intangible conceptual views of how to apply sanctions today that are completely beyond our capability to quickly ingest and understand. And so consequently, there's a lot of problem with sanctions right now. Um, it, 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 we could be doing a lot better. Um, but this is financial services. And I think, you know, if any industry can pull something off quickly, it's this one. And, you know, we're all about handling very complex, high volume uh, transactional environments. So I think there's some key building blocks for reg tech that could really help. And I'm really looking forward to talking about them with this panel. Um, Neil, please explain what you do. So, yeah, I'm Neil Wiley. I'm the Director of Sanctions at UK Finance. I'm responsible for the whole sanctions portfolio that UK Finance looks after. So that includes Canada, Australia, uh, the US, EU, and of course the UK. And that covers, it's not just financial sanctions. Obviously, we look after trade, uh, a little bit of vessel and aircraft. They're not quite so common for us. Um, and then UK Finance, um, the name kind of says what it is. It's the uh, UK financial services trade body. But the, the bit that I would point out is that while we look after financial services, we do have a slightly wider remit because of the economic crime area that I work in, and particularly in sanctions. We, we reach out across oil and gas, marine, insurance, law firms, etc. Thank you. It's a, a tremendously wide brief, and I know it keeps you plenty busy. Uh, Chris. Hi, uh, Chris Beaver. So I'm the UK MLRO and Group Compliance COO for GAM uh, Investments. Uh, so I've got a very clear vested interest from a sanctions perspective. Uh, my previous life, I was involved in KYC from both an operational and a change management perspective. Um, so I've been in this space for a number of years. Always a pleasure to have a, uh, operational guys with, with dirt under their fingernails trying to work out what how to manage compliance. So, so welcome. Um, Simon. Uh, I am a dirty operational guy. Um, I'm the uh, look after the CLM function for Commerce Bank. Um, 
And really, yeah, from a sanctions perspective, I think the, the interesting uh, piece for us is to how do we make it accurate, transparent, and efficient within the firm uh, with the current, within the current environment. Thank you. Uh, Oliver. Yeah, hi everybody, happy to be here. Um, I'm working for the SIX group, the Swiss Infrastructure Exchange. We run the Swiss Stock Exchange. We have a financial information business and uh, also a customer business. And I'm uh, the responsible product manager for our offering. We have a particular sanction offering, which is linking sanction to financial instruments. Fantastic, thank you. And John, last but not least. Hi, yes, good afternoon, thank you. Um, I'm John Hartley, I'm a partner at Shoesmiths. I, I sit in our regulatory team and I specialize in white collar crime and financial crime and business investigations. Thank you, and I, I think the first question we wanna push on to pretty quickly, and we did cover this at length in the podcast, but ultimately, you know, there, there are many different perspectives on, on the sanctions process. Um, Neil, can you help us understand how the global picture has changed uh, this year in particular, you know, some of the, the, the volumes and, and the variety of approaches taken across the globe? Uh, yeah, I think, well, we, every year we say it's been an exceptional year and this year is no different. Um, I think we've started earlier than, than some years, but what, what we've effectively seen, the volume that we've seen because of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine is equivalent of two years worth of normal change. So we, we and we saw that within a period of about six to eight weeks and it's not stopped. Those volumes are still there. Um, we've got uh, across our membership transaction screenings running at about 300% of normal levels, customer screenings at about 500%. But sadly, the staffing levels are still around about 100%. So everybody's really struggling with the volumes. And I guess that's just the outcome of such wide-ranging uh, fast-paced sanctions against such a massive economy on the doorstep of Europe. Yeah, and I guess that's really one of the, the, the biggest changes, right, is that there are very complex uh, restrictions being put in place on a very big part of the G20 economy. And, and here in the UK, we've got a, a particularly large flow. Can you give people a sense of the numbers in terms of the values and the, and, and the timing? So what that means from the infrastructure we've got to operate? Yeah, so London's a significant financial center, still the second largest on the planet. And basically, in, just in the UK, we, we see over 100 trillion worth of transactions a year uh, and about 40 billion individual transactions. So that every minute, that's a quarter of a million transactions worth about 600,000 pounds flying through London. And that's a lot of traffic to try and screen against all of these lists that are constantly changing and aren't particularly well aligned at any given moment in time. And so what do those changes mean? I mean, where, do, where, do the, where does it go wrong? Tell us about the glitches. So the, what's easy for the old school technology that we've had around for a long time, the, the list-based screening, is if we get a nice list of names and just freeze their assets if you see them, but the, the Russia sanctions are getting a lot more complex than that, which is putting extra strain on what the current tech can do and, and the models that are in place. Um, and then when you ally that with the differences in the timings of the prohibitions, the targets, the announcements of those from the Europe, U, EU, uh, sorry, EU, US and the UK, for banks in London, which is it's significantly international business that's coming out of London, they have to adhere to all of these regimes. It's really complicated to try and work out what you can do with a party or which prohibition is stopping you from doing a particular bit of business that wasn't stopping you yesterday. And, and it's this constant change that's the big challenge. And obviously, uh, just flagged last Wednesday, we had strict liability brought in into the UK regime as well, which has added an extra risk uh, burden onto anybody operating within the UK. Yeah, and that's a particularly sensitive spot, I'm sure, for guys like Chris, because he, he's uh, in the crosshairs already. We we're accountable to the regulator for um, the senior manager regime, but now he has he has to take on these extra opportunities to go serve at uh, Her Majesty's pleasure. Um, Chris, how have you tried to get the information flow 
right so that the compliance officers can be enabled to make the right decisions here uh, uh, difficultly uh, it's probably the, the the easiest way of putting it um i mean a, a lot of it has been trying to leverage where we know we've got existing processes so things like your kyc screening tools and where you're doing on but going screening because there's two elements we, we've try to look at primarily um, one from a customer perspective have we got any exposure in terms of customers um, but then also being an investment manager we've got assets we purchase have we got exposure from the assets so there's a couple of different decision making and information flows we've got to get right so a, a lot of it is being trying to leverage where we can use existing processes get information from partners uh, such as our risk colleagues etc but as Neil said, um, most of it has been grunt work with guys in the team having to scroll through the different uh, regulations, the different um, notifications that have been served to try and work out Actually, you may have one asset that's got three different timelines on it and three different divestor, uh, divestor aspects to it. So being able to get all of that information so we can put it in front of the salespeople who may have exposure, the investment managers who may need to make decisions around it. Um, so a lot of it was trying to piece together information, but, but also trying to get a very almost, not quite a closed shop, but a very clear view of who needs to be involved in the decision-making process, because that's probably the important piece, trying to make sure you've got the information for the people who need the information. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the, uh, the with so many more opportunities to have false positives uh, in, in you know the the uh, exception based processes must be under a lot of strain. I mean, how how do you how do you get the feedback loops to the kit that needs to uh, understand? Well, okay, that's not actually an exception. Uh, to just through pure hard work and analysis, generally, um, but people have to go through each record, have a look at it work out um, like some of the information you'll see and you'll question it and you'll then have to go back and do research. And sometimes you may not have a right answer. And at that point, we've got to try and make a risk call uh, or the best case scenario around it. It's difficult to get all of this 100% right as much as you want to get it 100% right, particularly in the sanction space um, around it. And that's where kind of your risk decision-making has to come into it a bit more as well. Yeah, I guess that Simon, from your point of view, I think you made a great point in the podcast about the, you know, the the wheels falling off this process because of the 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 volumes just telling us that we don't really have this really cradle to grave view of the customer yet. Um, what 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 what's your perspective on the you know the glitches in the system today? I think the you know I think Neil and uh, Chris touched on this quite quite well in terms of the, the challenges and then and then at the operational end we, we we really feel it I guess I think you know a, a combination of massive increase in volumes uh, due due to the issues with um, the, the the current uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, situation uh, have, have massively increased the numbers of, uh, of of hits coming through at any point in time and and as Neil sort of rightly said. You know that that happened overnight getting a team to be kind of a, going from a bau state to having to work three to four times those volumes uh you know in a, in a period of time take takes time um and you you don't have that generally you don't have those luxuries of just having people ready to pick those things up and, and then i think the complexity that, that chris kind of uh, highlighted particularly around the fact that you've got not only are you talking about sort of looking at assets, clients, multi-jurisdictional changes at different and, and at different times and at different levels, trying to embed all of those things and, and get them into a situation where you, you, you're basically arming your people with the ability to make those decisions in a risk risk averse and but, but sensible manner to, to to allow business to carry on is is quite hard. Um, in particular, as as you know, there isn't a common data set um, coming through and things are happening at different times. We, we've all tried to get that single global view of the client and have that multi-jurisdictional view. But actually, when you start to add sanctions, which don't really work in that way at the moment, uh, that actually breaks things uh, in, in a different way. So it, it just is tough to, to try to make these pieces all kind of fit together. And, and uh, yeah, it really does just genuinely take hard work and uh, blood sweat and tears to, to at the moment to get this stuff uh, right yeah it's all about those connections between things 
right? I mean, everyone's trying to get their data lakes and throw all the data in it, but if you're not smart enough to work out the 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 um, uh, the, the signs that will tell you that this is a connected party and that or that it is a something more than a fifty percent rule, then then you're at fault. And, and so it's, it's almost like you have too much information to to go through in a, in, a, in a, any kind of structured way. How do you, what what lesson do you take away from that? And what what do you what does it mean for your target architecture? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. I, I think from my perspective, and I think Neil touched on this before. I think it's all around how do we a get the data into a single place that allows us to to do that and then b make our our systems and technology uh, more extensible and, and, and easier to model or change to 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 really kind of uh, work in, in lockstep with the changing environment and you know i think certainly from my personal perspective uh, the biggest point i take away is that we we need to make ourselves more 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 flexible to change in this area than than we already are Oliver, I'd like to pull you in here because you, you've had some experience of this trying to normalize a, a, a very uh, heterogeneous set of data and, and pull it together as a as a feed, and then try to help help firms work out how to plug it into their systems. What 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 challenges do you see in this uh, the way the process is working today? Yeah, I I think I I can only agree what what Chris and Simon said. Right, I mean. It is, it is already a challenge just to keep up with the ever-changing regulation, which is going which is going so fast, right? And then there is a multi-jurisdiction approach that you also want to follow. So what we see is that clients, they, I wouldn't say they're struggling, but it's already hard to keep up with that, right? And what we then do, but then, then you have the heavy lifting, right? And there is, there's multiple regulators that have have different list formats. Uh, ideally, you want to be able to compare with them. Uh, so you you would like to compare the UK with, with with OFAC. You know who is moving first, who is moving second. And I think we as a data vendor, we can we that's where we come in and we can support. Uh, since I mean we started with you know with actually being in the sanction business in in 2014, it was very simple, right? You had a list of entities and you would simply simply link them to securities but uh, you know just doing this globally we, we developed something a normalization matrix which we call the sanction matrix and this this allows us then effectively to compare uh, the sanction programs between the regulators and uh, this is a lot of work that that you would have to put into to just to develop such an approach and the question is, if, if if a bank really can take that step back and develop such a methodology uh, or, 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 or they are simply, you know, just following always up with the regulators because the sanctions are moving so fast. So this is quite a challenge. It's always like in, in, in business, right? It's, you, you got to decide somehow you're going to invest these resources, uh, only once, or you're going to rely on a data vendor that has probably more experience in, than you in, in normalizing that data. And, uh, you could buy it from, from, a, from a data vendor. Yeah. That's an excellent point about you know how how many how different some of those regimes are, and I guess John, coming to you and and what your clients are asking you for, what 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 is what is some of the little complexities even just beyond these lists? Where does what where does that take you? Uh, absolutely, thank you. And um, of course, I, I agree with with everything that the panel panel have said, and I'll pick up on a few few of those those points as well. Um, and essentially, just to repeat the point, the speed at which these sanctions regimes have changed and have been implemented across the world has been phenomenal and the interest in it now to to comply and to have those compliance teams has never been greater um i mean three or four years ago i was giving talks on sanctions and i'd be lucky if four or five people turned up uh, because by and large it was as the panel have said quite straightforward. You had a list, people could manage it internally. They didn't need to come to experts. They didn't necessarily need to come to lawyers to, to help them navigate through, through the issues. But that has significantly changed. Um, and I think the, the way in which the landscape has changed, I think could be dramatically improved by greater alignment between the different jurisdictions. There is some alignment, 
there is obviously communication behind the scenes, but policies and uh, agendas will always be different and legislation is always different between those jurisdictions. So there, there will always be differences. But the, the way in which we've seen some sanctions be, be put in place, you, you'll have the US put in place a series of sanctions. And then instead of simultaneously the UK and the EU and other jurisdictions applying them at the same time, there might be two or three weeks which which passed when those those jurisdictions think, oh, actually, yes, that's a good idea. We're, we're going to implement that or implement that, but slightly differently. Uh, or we're, we're not going to implement that fully, but partially. And then it just makes the landscape incredibly uh, convoluted. And if you overlay that with, um, as Neil referred to earlier, there's the, the strict liability issue, which has now been put in place, which obviously people and businesses are going to be concerned about. And also the potential for investigations into future criminal conduct. Uh, if a designated, if a, an individual or business is designated in one jurisdiction, but not in another jurisdiction, and they have a reasonable suspicion that they might be subject to sanctions in that secondary jurisdiction, anybody who facilitates them in moving the money out might be potentially guilty of, of an offence of facilitating future criminal conduct. So all of those things come down to um, making sure that there is a closer interaction, communication, and it's the age-old question, isn't it? The, the interrelationships between the public and the private sector. How can the public, private public sector have a greater degree of communication with the private sector? Um, and for financial institutions and regulated businesses to be told of a designated person being put onto a list at the same time as that designated person going onto a list is only adding to the confusion because then there's then a scramble as to who can either suspend the account first or extract the money into a different jurisdiction first. And, and they're, they're going to be obviously winners and losers on, on either side in relation to that. I think that's a really interesting junction point to launch us into this next question about what would a good system look like so in, in, in rapid fire i'd like to, like to go around but start start again with you john because i think you were you were sort of moving there anyway this system needs to be public to private but it's public to public and then private to private and actually it's regulated to vendor and vendor to vendor as well right so this this isn't this is a massive communication challenge, you know, to, to, to coordinate this. And it, it strikes me that, you know, we're, we're off there trying to fight these very sophisticated networks, state active, state driven networks that, that are able to dance around this pretty easily. What, what is it going to take to get that kind of communication going correctly from your point of view? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that, that entirely. Um, and I don't think anybody is going to, uh, step back and say, look, this is, a, this is an easy fix. There's something straightforward which can be done here. You have decades worth of legislation in multiple jurisdictions, which are all overlaying with, with one another. Um, but in the UK, we obviously have things like suspicious activity reports, which are in existence. And there is a mechanism within that framework, within the Proceeds of Crime Act, to allow sharing of information between financial institutions. Um, that seems to be something which could be expanded on and worked upon for for financial sanctions. Um, when you make a suspicious activity report, for example, you have a moratorium period, which is which is set by statute of the seven days, in which time you can't correspond with with the customer or the client. I see no reason why there can't be a reverse of that. Why the government can't say, well, actually, we're considering putting this these entities under some kind of sanction and we're going to give you a few days notice to, to put in place what needs to be done and apply a similar sort of moratorium period. Um, again, it sounds like a fairly straightforward fix, but um, there are obviously going to be enormous complications and competing interests when it comes to those sorts of those sorts of discussions. Let, but, let, let, let's loop back to Neil on this, Neil, because I think you know, there, there's there's obviously the SAR reporting, but there's lots of other reporting, the NCAs and and elsewhere. I mean, did, from from your from your point of view, is it is, is it enough to make one fix, or does this need to be a bigger fix from a public-private sanction system point of view? I think the the 
core of the problem is that the international criminals that are normally subject to sanctions don't adhere to any legislation and aren't very honest about what they're doing. And then when you have international businesses like banks or law firms trying to fight those on behalf of the regulations that are in place, they're doing so against domestic regulation. And th this is the core problem is domestic legislation is trying to fight an international issue but not doing it in an aligned fashion. And this, this is one of the things that we need to try and fix. And as John pointed out, it's like alignment across, just even the EU and the UK would be really beneficial. We've lost the harmonization because we left the European Union and we have a slightly different legal framework, but we could get really good alignment. We're not miles off those guys, but we, we could get better aligned. Um, and then back to your point, PJ, the the problem that we have with the way that information flows is that every single bank is doing the exact same investigation into bits of the business empire of a designated person but they're not allowed to share that with each other they send it to government but that doesn't get collated and shared back out to industry so the next time a transaction or an account comes along with that designated person again that that investigation process happens yet again in perhaps another bank in a different jurisdiction and it's this sharing of intelligence not just normal data but actual intelligence between banks between banks and government between government and banks and then hopefully between government and government so that we can repeat this at an international level because that's the only way we're going to be able to deal with the amount of intel that we hold and use it constructively because at the moment it doesn't get used constructively Simon, I know you've got some big ideas here. You'd like to explain what it looks like? No, I mean, I think we could, if we're allowed to be indulgent for a couple of minutes, I think I think uh, John John's kind of touched on this and Neil, to both of them, really. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at uh, other parallels where perhaps there is a better sharing of data, um, uh, you know, we see that very much in, in, in normal crime situations. And I guess we could, Interpol being a, a reasonably good example of where we do share uh, data amongst jurisdictions and across different crime um, uh, organisations, um, crime fighting organisations, I should say. Um, but I think, um, you know, that doesn't feel like a very big step to to actually start to sort of normalize that and in terms of the technology out there there's plenty of technology that we could start to utilize dare i say or mention the word distributed ledger as an example where we could actually start to sort of anonymize some of this stuff but but share it um both uh in inter-country and also uh, globally but i mean it would really take the collaboration of uh regulators governments and financial institutions to bring that together so as i say a little bit indulgent but if we really want to crack this nut um i don't really see another way of doing it chris would you concur uh, completely um the, the reality is that i think the the sharing of data um has got to be the, the key piece i mean that there's there's no commercial benefit to financial institutions in terms of the information we've got and the amount of effort we put in to collect this information be, being able to share that in some way um with the regulators and i think the key point is get that feedback loop so we all kind of know what's going on and we're all tackling the same kind of questions i think that that's got to be the, the way forward it harkens back for me to 2007, I think, when the third money laundering directive rolling review of counterparty data came in. Because everybody said, oh, we actually have to take a risk based approach and review counterparties, but we also then have to define what data we have about our counterparts. And that was a revelation. I think I had, we had a dozen banks around the table. We actually, we produced guidance, I think, still on the AFME site today, uh, but that sort of had a structure you could at least follow. But that's a, you know, with, with all the different banks, lakes that are kind of puddles with string between them, that you need to bring together and come up with a common structure what this information is. Is this going to, is this going to take like another decade? You'd hope not, because as you say, you're kind of, the common data points are common data points already, that there can't be that much more information the regulators or authorities need 
Um, I think the key bit is giving a potentially a standard type format for the financial institutions to help provide that information because it makes the consumption and the sharing of data so much easier. Um, and the reality is they've probably got the key data points because they're already providing them kind of when they come out with the information. Um, it's just trying to link that back together. Uh, Oliver, can you help us here? Because it strikes me that as a, as a you know, exchange that solved this problem for one area, you must have learned a lot of lessons. Tell us about the, 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 the building blocks that you think would be required to get the kind of data set people are looking for here. Yeah, so obviously, you know, when just listening to the other speakers now, I mean, if there was such an aligned approach, I mean, I think you could argue that our products would not be necessary anymore. Uh, I think here also with, the, with, with this Ukraine situation, I think we have seen that on a political level, right? The country leaders there were pretty, or the Western country leaders, so to say, were pretty much uh, aligned in what they wanted to do, you know, to, 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 uh, uh, you know, to, to impose sanctions on Russia. But I think where it failed is then on the execution level, right? So just updating these lists, for instance, you know, uh, then the US moved first, and then the European Union followed a couple of days later, right? I mean, with, with other application dates, so you could then argue arbitrage would be possible uh, of something that the US had forbidden, but was still possible in the European Union. And we in Switzerland, even having a, a special position here, um, we have heard, and this has been in the press, that for instance, the Swiss regulator does not get access to any insights what the European Union is doing. So mainly the Swiss regulator learns the names from the European Union once they're available on the website, right? So this takes in another time lag to, 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 to add this to the Swiss lists. And then again, you have, there's a room for arbitrage, right? But I think there, uh, what the regulators could do at least you know probably agree a common format right and then on some technology a platform uh, probably this will have to come from from initiatives from the private sector and had mentioned before you know you you could imagine blockchain technology where you would have multiple participants right of course the regulators would issue the lists there and you could have law firms, other countries, and even the banks connect to such a system uh, and exchange there. But I think, I do not expect this to be coming from the government. I think it's still an initiative that will be driven by the private sector. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a key point, right? You can't, you know, no, nor do we probably want it to be driven by the public sector, right? It, it, it's probably more of an operational thing. Um, but I guess that the big question I've got there then is, is about feedback loops. And maybe go to Neil on this. You know, what, tell us about the data quality, what we're getting out today, the, the, the way we're issued, the way the, the, the private sector is giving reports to the public sector and how much discussion there is about the data. Is, is there enough today? I, I think the quality of the intel is available, but it's not shared enough to make it useful to the UK as a whole. So a classic example was the Abramovich listing, which in the other information field had good detail about him owning Evraz, yet Evraz wasn't listed. So unless as a small to medium enterprise, you actually interrogated the whole of the list record to realize that they're kind of suggesting that Evraz is controlled by him and therefore you shouldn't be dealing with Evraz under the ownership and control part, section seven of the Russia regulations, you might be missing that. And that would be a breach, which now is strict liability. So all these bits that are building up, we need to work with the regulators to give them the information that they can then use to improve the listing so that everybody is on a level playing field. And, and we're not in this position where some banks or insurance companies or law firms are not realizing and allowing transactions to happen because once it's in the system it's really difficult to then trace back to where it originated from and say oh no hang on these are these are sanctioned funds i shouldn't be dealing with them these should be frozen but you know it's come from somebody that's not a designated person because they're third or fourth in in line and it just makes a mockery of the whole point of 
trying to freeze the assets of the people that are, if not behind, but contributing to the invasion of Ukraine. And, and John, you mentioned earlier just you know how many decades one has to go back in each of the in the legislation annals to pull out the appropriate. Um, uh, interpretation that's required around the, the, the processing requirements. Do, do you see that there's more guidance needed around how to how to think about those um, uh, key legal aspects of sanctions? And, uh, absolutely, and and I think to, to an extent, a lot of our, our clients, both in the regulated and non-regulated sectors, are um, uh, sort of they they're scared by sanctions. They're scared of getting it wrong, and so they come to speak to us quite you know, obviously not going to shy away from giving giving clients the advice that they're, they're asking for. But much of the advice and assistance which we're giving should be given by OFSI. It should be made available in easy to consider bite-sized chunks of information which are digestible for lay clients and not just the regulated sector because the sanctions don't just affect the regulated sector, they, they, affect, uh, they affect everybody. Um, and we've had uh, schools and universities come to us to say, oh, we've had financial payments stopped by the bank and we don't know why. Uh, and then, so we then have to look into it and it transpires after communicating with, with the powers that be that there, there is a, a person or an entity, even if it's a sort of fuzzy search match, which is closely connected to that individual which has stopped that payment. And they don't necessarily need to come to their, to, to their advisors to find out that information. So I think that the, the guidance and the information which is out there, as good as it might be, I think could be, could be um, made more uh, available. Um, and of course, obviously has a blog, which is updated now and again, which is quite easy to follow. But again, most people don't go to the OFSI website. They just come straight to their advisors to, to ask, ask for the advice. And so I think there is more communications which, which can, can be done to, um, to, to improve how the information cascades down through the system. Um, and of course, it's down to communication, resources, and training at the end of the day. Uh, those, are the, those are the key points. Um, and as, as, as Neil has, has highlighted, I think resources are currently a finite thing. Uh, there aren't many sanctioned specialists out there and they're being recruited by those in the private sector and by those in the public sector as well. And so there aren't that many uh, people being taken into those, uh, those sectors to, to help give that guidance and, and give, that, give that information because, because of the explosion in the nature of the work and the, the requirement for, for the proverbial bums to be on seats. That's a fantastic point. I, Simon, I'll come back to you on the sort of case for change here and the timing aspects. Um, the, you know, we're, we're still, we, we can't expect this to get better anytime soon. In fact, there's a plausible scenario where it gets a lot worse. What, what's the urgency around the case for change here? I mean, I think that I think the key the key point really here is that um, change change in the well things are happening at a very rapid rate at the moment within the within the world. Um, we don't see that's happening. We don't see that slowing down. Um, it's a curve that seems to be kind of on its upward trajectory at the moment, and uh, it's just becoming a, a tougher and tougher uh, element to to handle. And it doesn't seem to have a you know, natural natural progressive way of, of, of slowing down at any point in time so if you just extrapolate that out the case for change here is we, we need to we, we need to get ourselves in and our houses in order in order to deal with the uh, uptick in this as opposed to it being a a, a small thing that we, we 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 see it's it's becoming bigger every day and it's going to become a big big issue for for kyc and, and process i think I Chris, coming to you, I guess the, the, you're the guy who could be wearing the orange jumpsuit in, in, uh, in the US. <laughs> you, you'd, you'd hope not. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't, of course, but you know that you could be. So what, what, how do you see the case for change and where's the urgency? Um, the, this is almost where I put my Simon hat on uh, or, or my old Simon hat on in terms of looking at it from a pure operational perspective. I think there's there's definitely a business case in terms of cost saving i would say at a base level particularly for the bigger organizations because the amount of time and effort people have spent just 
gathering information to start with, yeah. then being able to disseminate it. So, so I think there's that element. Um, but, but, but I think it's there's a lot of technology out there that can be used. Um, I, I, I think the, the business case politically is probably the, the bigger one that's going to help us in terms of getting alignment from a regulatory perspective. And I don't think any of us are going to be able to do anything about that. So I, I think it's being able to look at it in terms of what, what can we do internally. And I think taking the efficiency view is probably one, one element where you're going to get be able to get quick improvements because people generally are happier to support efficiency aspects. From improving the risk aspects, uh, again, I think it's probably looking at it and going, what's the information flow? Where, where have we got these questions? Where are we needing to go to expensive law firms, unfortunately, to answer questions? And a lot of the time, it is just to validate your own understanding um, uh, in those circumstances. So, so how can we do things like that? So there, there's definitely an immediate case. And I think there are opportunities that you can look at it both from a risk probably efficiency is the big one to start with just how do we make this so it doesn't consume our lives um, more than anything and then figure out how can we use that to increase uh, or improve our risk visibility and transparency in decision making you didn't mention a key risk that you know we've, we've faced in the past that of course we will be facing with the inspections that are probably starting around now um you know which is the enormous fines that that can get issued in this space uh, Neil, you have any sense talking to the, the, the regulators, uh, the, well, the, the many different actors in the public sector, uh, you know, how serious they are about coming around, banging on the door and, and having to look at uh, how this is working? Well, we, so there's, there's two streams. One, we've seen the pressure that OFSI have been put under in the house and in the press because of their lack of regulatory action against banks primarily. So um, that was part of the drive to get the Economic Crime Act through the House quickly. So that's the strict liability and the urgent procedure. So those are the two main bits that came out of that. So the listings in the UK now much faster because they can take uh, or mirror what the US or the EU do. And then obviously the strict liability, which we've mentioned. But from uh, an industry perspective, what we've seen is the FCA on-site visits for sanctions and reporting requirements. We've seen the PRA going in on-site for visits and reporting requirements. We've seen the NCA, which is the criminal prosecutor, requesting reports. So all of a sudden, many banks have gone from reporting to OFSI and the FCA, which is the normal under principle 11, you'd, you'd do both of those, to also having to report to the PRA and the NCA but all of these reports were in slightly different formats, even though it's the same information. So there's a, a lack of synergy between the, the UK bodies, which is causing extra work at a time when banks are really under pressure, not just banks, but everyone's really under pressure. And as, as John and Chris and uh, Simon have pointed out, we don't have this massive pool of resource that we can just call on. Sanctions isn't something that you can study at university. It's a, it's a, a strange animal that crosses over so many disciplines that it doesn't fit easily in politics or law or history or geography it kind of crosses over all of those so there's and obviously you're finding out this to the to their own cost trying to recruit people is very very difficult trying to recruit people that you can actually use even more so because it takes 18 months to get someone up to speed so oliver i would have expected your phone to be ringing off the hook. Are, are you getting lots and lots of inquiries right now about how you can take the pain away? Yeah, it has been busy, yeah, but we have also been busy, you know, implementing all these, these, these sanctions uh, programs. And this is probably one point, right? Also, uh, you know, what the regulators should be doing better is, uh, I mean, we have many industry classifications like the company identifiers, LEIs, et cetera. So what we are sometimes struggling is, is also with the data quality that we're getting from the regulators, right? So uh, name spelling, uh, companies are, are, are not clear, et cetera, across regulators. We need to match them to normalize. So a lot of that burden we, we were able to handle with, uh, with artificial intelligence and some advanced phonetic matching algorithms. But, uh, but, 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 you know, something that has been said before, right, which is uh, totally unresolved is, uh, you know, for instance, that regulators would, would give us 
hint from the 50% rule, right? So this is this is totally, I mean, just uh, draw, drawn over, you know, or drawn over the fence. You know, there is a name being put up, uh, you know, one, one, one oligarchs. And if you don't have these data points prior to a sanction, it takes effect, you know, because these oligarchs, we have seen this on the Katza, there were six oligarchs being sanctioned, I think. We had about 5,800 companies that they were owning, you know, and then when you go further uh, under and, you know, and you just think that the EU would also sanction these oligarchs and you would go into a controlling relationships uh, that you that you they also need to have some advanced computing just to calculate voting power. Then it's it, it's it's by 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 factors more right. So this is also something where probably I mean then the regulators took a good approach under the Chinese military sanctions where they have uh, published a list with with ISINs right. But this is for instance we were hoping that they were also doing this in the Russia context, but then somehow we fell back to just uh, you know throwing the names across the fence. And then uh, everybody had to comply with it. And, and this was a huge work to normalize the data. And, you know, so now for us, obviously it was good because we were doing this for, for our clients. But if you, if, you, if you want to do this on, on your own, it's almost impossible to do, to, do, to do that data lifting without using advanced computing. Yeah, and, and I, I think everyone would struggle to make the business case internally to invest, invest in all that. So look, amazingly, we're at time, guys. We have to do our summaries in one minute going around. I'd like to give you all an opportunity to reflect on what your one wish for sanctions reg tech is by the end of 24, um, which takes a whole bunch of different factors into account. Simon, let's kick off with you, please. Um, I, th I think the, 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 you know, the parallel of the Inter Interpol for sanctions, um, where, where we have a bit more collaboration and uh, sharing across the industry would be, for me, the biggest and first step to, to, to try to solve. And by Interpol sanctions, you mean like actually create the body that would have to enable or, all this stuff to happen? Create the enablement at least, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, excellent, excellent perspective. Neil? I think what I'd like to see is some, and I'm not quite sure how we would do this, but to do some work into the descriptive behavioral based sanctions, which seem to be becoming a lot more commonplace and they're much harder to deal with because they're the data is lacking in the transactions or the customer record. So how do we match a customer to membership of an organization or a behavior that's prohibited? Yeah, I get where you're coming from there. I think I do have an answer actually came from a former FCA regulator, he talked about a policy simulator, right, where you could actually break down the language of what's required in the, in the rule and how you would think about implementing it. Um, and I think that's something that, that, that regardless, we're going to need to cross financial crime pretty soon anyway. There are just so many different conflicts with all the, the more we get into data sharing and all these kind of things um, that, you know, we, we need to work through that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I completely get where you're coming from there. So just understanding what it is we're being asked to do. John, what's your wish? Yeah, I, I, I think, well, probably one wish, which is split into two. I think um, greater cross-jurisdictional guidance, so more alignment in the guidance, which is issued by the different jurisdictions um, in relation to, to how the information and how those sanctions work and how that sort of cascaded down all the way through to, to those uh, businesses which which may not be in the regulated sector um, but uh, within that some framework to give financial institutions and other regulated businesses uh, a heads up that individuals are going to be placed under sanction so they can apply the relevant um, protocols and tools that they need to yeah I, I, I completely get where you're, you're coming up there there's um there's so many obstacles in the way right now, right? Did you just, yeah. just clear, clear some of the turf for so people can do the job? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Oliver. Yeah, as I think I mentioned it before. What I would wish for is I think they, the world leaders, they align pretty, pretty much on their ideas. So what, not, what they now should do is really also that the agencies that are executing these sanctions are publishing these lists, are working better together. We have seen something that, for instance, 
in some conferences, executives of these, uh, not executives of the, of the leads of these, of OFSI and OFAG, etc., they were appearing at same conferences. So I assume that there is talks are happening there, uh, but I think that they need to improve just in alignment in the data formats in the, and in the publication of the of the effective dates and the, the wind down periods, etc., that this is somehow harmonized uh, uh, with, a, with a joint approach uh, from the Western world against its adversaries. Excellent point. Thank you. <clears throat> Chris, last but certainly not least. And, and probably struggling to add anything generally. Um, no, I, I think the key points, as I said, I think collaboration between um, policymakers and industry that leads to kind of uh, at least a minimal set of data standards, um, I, I think. But the, the key bit is, I think, timeliness and sharing of that communication because we're all scrambling. So I think the more open channels and the more we can get easier access to information. It's just going to make everybody's life easier, including the regulators, because we're all trying to do the right thing here. Yeah, I think it's a great way to end it. And I think the, 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 the way I would summarize what I just heard from you guys is that we need um, a, a better view of the policies upcoming and the way that they're thinking about implementing them, because they're only going to get worse. Um, so we can actually have that body that we can go to to say how. And that's where the whole you know, simulator comes in and then thinking about getting people working better together in, you know, as we work all the way through the system. And I think that includes you know, the great kind of stuff that uh, Oliver provides and, and all the other data vendors out there because it's, it's never just gonna be one data set, right? And, and it's just this, like, every firm has, has got lots of data sets internally that they're struggling to make work. If there was a way to come up with that, here's, here's what you need. And here's how we think about sharing intelligence across firms around that, whether it be DLT or whatever, then we were really onto something. So look, like I said at the beginning, we're financial services. This, this is not beyond us to, fi to figure this out. We just need to focus on it and figure out what the real ask is gonna be for 2024. Without further ado, uh, gentlemen, I thank you very much for your participation. This has been an excellent discussion and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You can download the podcast via Spotify, Apple, and Google, but also I'd encourage people to come to the JWG website, which as hopefully you will know, is jwg-it.eu. Go to the Intelligence Hub and create your bespoke library. This is Redcast. Shining a light on challenges and opportunities for digital compliance. 